Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Another edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. This is our Thanksgiving spectacular, if you will. Joining me as always is Tribune reporter Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Absolutely fantastic, and so excited to be in uh, Thanksgiving week, my favorite holiday of the year. Is it really? Yep. It's birthdays right around it, so it's always like you have family together, then it's presents for my birthday. It's it's a great time. Fair enough. It's it's one of my favorites too. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Um, we actually have kind of a jam-packed episode this week. I know we still always make the joke it goes long, but we really do have a jam-packed episode this week. Not one, but actually two guests. Usually we go long with one. We went kind of shorter with two. First up is Conzo Martin. Uh, I talked to him actually last Friday. Great job talking to him. Uh, and as it was not great job talking to him. It was a great time talking to him. And then obviously big news on the Mizzou football front this week is Mizzou Arkansas is off. It is now Mizzou Vanderbilt. So the Barry Odom talk from Langston is going to have to wait until we don't know when because I make the point talking to Adam and it's true you look at Mizzou's future schedule and it's really now the shrug emoji we, we hope Mississippi State is going to open next week but we really don't know uh, so I don't want to waste any of your time we can talk about more basketball coming out of it but before further ado I know you guys want to hear from Conzo here is my interview with Missouri head men's basketball coach Conzo Martin Mizzou Sports Podcast at this time is Mizzou's head men's basketball coach, Conzo Martin. How are you doing, coach? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, full disclosure, we're recording this on Friday, November uh, 20th, uh, about five days out from Mizzou men's basketball season opener. Just, I mean, does it feel like it's December 20th a little bit to you? Uh, I mean, does, does it feel like Christmas morning you're this close to a season opener? I'm excited to play. It seems like uh, we've been waiting for a while. I mean, we had a pause in uh, mid-March, and uh, we didn't really get together June and July, so now we're at it. So I'm excited to get started. But this is always a fun time a year for me, the holiday season, and you're playing basketball. If you don't mind, let me take you back, I guess, uh, eight months to that time in Nashville. I mean, I know the team was just starting to come together, and then unfortunately something that was really out of your control happened. I mean, what, what was going through your mind kind of when everything kind of went down? And, you know, does it make it even more sweet to get back on the court now? I mean, it's, yes, it's sweet to get back on the court. Grateful to be on the court because you, it's one of those deals where you can't take anything for granted. And um, at that time, it was just uh, you, you didn't know. You, you, it wasn't as if, at least I didn't know, think, okay, eight months this could take place and we could be out three straight months, four months. I, I, I didn't see that because there were so many unknowns. And, and we have such a great country when it comes to medicines and that sort of thing. We felt like we could regroup quickly, but that wasn't the case. And then after that, we'll just, uh, if, if we have to deal with it, let's make the best of it. So we spent a lot of time with our team uh, doing Zoom calls, uh, talking about a lot of life things. And then I was able to spend a lot of quality time with my family. So that was uh, great. Is there anything in particular you got done because of quarantine that you wouldn't have got done uh, if you were just in your normal routine? Uh, one uh, uh, one subtle thing, but a big thing for me, I got a peace of mind. You know, I just got a chance to sit down, uh, sit down. Cause I've, I've been doing this since 2000, really since I left home at 18 years old, just been going. And uh, when I got in this profession in 2000, as an assistant, it's just been nonstop. So this is probably, this was probably the first time I had a chance to really slow down, gain a peace of mind, and then regroup and continue to push forward. How, how, how nice was that? <laughs> just in general, just just I mean, a peace of mind or whatever. I know you love coaching, you love being basketball. Just how nice was that in general? Just maybe just taking a little bit of a pause and a break and just breathe a little bit. 
I think it was one of the greatest experiences for me in the last 20 years. I can certainly say that just to sit back and, and, and not have to deal with the hustle and bustle of what's, what's tomorrow. Have to get up and where you, you, you're waking up anywhere between 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. every morning that, you know, just, you know, sleepless nights, uh, trying to think of the next thing to, to help make you better, help make your program better. And in the process, when you're doing all that, the, the thing that you oftentimes neglect is the value of family and spending quality time with your family and, and really being present with your family, not so much as you're in the household, but just to be mentally and physically present. And, and, and I think I was, I would give myself a C minus in that department. So grateful to, um, for, for, I look at it as God allowed me to slow down and um, reassess and reevaluate and now regroup and push forward. We're still in the middle of a pandemic as you get back on the floor now. As a leader, as, as you know, the guy who's guiding young men, and I think you, you put a lot of emphasis on, you know, off-court stuff, just, in, you know, and helping out your team much as on-court stuff. Do, do you take pride in either checking with the news or, being aware of everything going around because of this health pandemic or just guiding them through that part of this experience as well? Oh, yes. We talked through a lot of that stuff. Uh, now, I'm not consumed with watching the news because there's a lot that I just I, I don't enjoy watching. But but when you're talking about COVID, you have to be aware of your surroundings when you're dealing with that. Um, the racial injustices that were, were taking place in our society, that, ha- that has been taking place in our society, we talk about that. Outside of that, I don't really get consumed with it because my job is is to prepare these guys on the basketball court, off the court, and um, hopefully that will help them in life because we're not just basketball coaches. We we, we have a job to do in the development of young men that, that continue growth, and that's important. You know, just that dedication to living life, being successful, that dedication not just to go to class but to be a successful student, to be a scholar. Uh, the ability to listen and apply uh, and listen with the information in the classroom and, and apply that information in your everyday life. Because I, I go back to myself, there was a lot of classes I took in college, and I can't remember a lot about those classes. So what I try to tell our guys, try to gain information in that classroom, pay attention to details, always have a work ethic. These things, they matter. Uh, you, you have to be a fighter. You have to be a warrior in life because things don't always go your way, and life can be tough at times. So you're just dealing with a lot of different things, and then hopefully they can, they can become successful men, and in the process, if they choose to be fathers and husbands. That sounds great, Coach. Uh, just I guess it's more on a lighter note now. Let's talk about some maybe some actually on-court stuff. Just what exactly do you like about this year's team? Well, I like the guys. You know, I like the guys. I I, I always, in most cases, there might have been one or two that, but I always enjoy coaching guys, being around guys. I, I more than anything, I enjoy practicing, and I enjoy the games. I enjoy those two because you practice, you prepare. But if there's anything I, I would enjoy, is practice because you compete, you let your hair down, you plan, you're getting better. The ups and downs of practice, I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing young men growing and develop. Not only their basketball skills, but their social skills, their ability to communicate when they come in as an 18 year old and they leave us as men. I, I enjoy that that process. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, that these guys uh, they they want to win. They they want to win, and and they they're learning how to compete. And I know that you you might say, well, what do you mean compete? They should always compete as basketball, but it's not necessarily the case. Some play the game, some enjoy playing the game, some play hard, but. We have to have a collection of guys that compete, and I think that's the separation from good to great. Just out of curiosity, how do you differentiate between uh, Drew Smith and Drew Bugs? Do you call them both Drew, call one of them Bugs, one of them Smith, but then there's three Smiths on the team. So how do you differentiate between the two of them? <laughs> well, obviously, Drew, uh, Drew Smith, I just call him Drew because he was here first, and I'm used to saying that. Then Bugs, we just call him Bugs. Then obviously Mitch is Mitch and Mark is Mark. Okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. I, I guess well, I, I'm curious to ask you about Drew Bugs because last year was it seemed like I mean you very rare occasions Mark Smith played the point but for a heavy majority of the season it was either Xavier Pinson or Drew Smith you know with Drew Bugs coming in with his I, I assume because he set the Hawaii all time record for assists in the middle of last season he's someone that might get some looks at the point guard spot how do you kind of assume that role on the guy who's going to be the primarily ball handler for the team. 
Oh, well, he'll be there. X will be there. Drew Smith will be there. All, all three of those guys are, will be there. That's, that, that's, that's not a problem. It's just who's on the floor. And I think in most cases, like, for example, if uh, Drew Buzz and Drew Smith are on the floor, then Drew Buzz will be the point guard. You know, but both of them bring it up. Uh, if Drew Bugs, X Pinson on the floor, Drew Bugs would probably be the point guard because X is more of a scorer, so you put him in positions to score where he doesn't have to have the pressures of bringing it up, not looking to score. So, yeah, that's that's not a big deal at all. It, it, it does seem like a good problem, to, a good problem to have that you have it a, a few positions. Just, I mean, when you when you think about the guys you come back, you also have Jeremiah Tillman, you have. You know, a Javon Pickett, even a Torrance Watson, who maybe aren't getting as many headlines or whatever. Uh, but, you know, and I'm sure I, I could list more, but I'd probably be missing someone. Just, does it feel like this is the most depth you've had in Columbia so far? Well, I think uh, I think the first year. I mean, you, I think the first year, I think you had, you had quite – you had good depth. But that was just unknowns because we were coming together. But I think that first year – now you're getting you – Michael Porter Jr., he's healthy. That's an elite talent. Uh, now, if you see with John T. Porter Cash, is Gerald Martillman, so Kevin Purse. Yeah, you had talent. Uh, there were just so many unknowns with the other parts. Uh, so, I guess I, the first year and this year, very similar. But, again, when you have a, a Michael Porter and a John T., then you have to really put Cash's in that category because of what he came in and, and, and accomplished. Then I forgot about Jordan Barnett. You know, you got yeah, Jordan Geist was feisty. So, I mean, that first year they had – yeah, they had some parts. I mean, those guys, uh, and they played with a chip on their shoulder. And, and I think they were fighting the unknown or trying to get out of a situation. Uh, and they did a great job. This, this, this team has to prove it. I know better than to ask you about any of the preseason rankings or anything like that. Uh, you know, just, just, but Go ahead, you, What'd you say, Coach? Uh, you can ask me. That's fine. Go ahead and ask me. <laughs> uh, well, okay. If you're, you're going to drop that carrot, uh, does 10th feel right for the amount of talent you have in Columbia? Yes, that's what they picked us as. So, again, you have to prove it. I mean, I think that's the that's the best way to do it. You have to prove it. I mean, so obviously somebody doesn't think we have talent. So it's our job to prove it. Fair enough, and I'll come clean to you with the USA Today Network. I picked six, so so obviously, and we had somebody who picked your 13th. So I don't know who that person was. So obviously, something, something. It is, there's a wide range, I'll say, of where you might could end up this season. But obviously, you could end up anywhere one through fourteen. That's obvious. But anyway, uh, all I'm going to say, all I was going to say was uh, going forward. Just uh, obviously, I think you have 88% of your minutes played returning, 82% of your scoring in a pandemic year. Do you think that matters more, maybe, than usual when there hasn't been too much time? You spend a lot of time over Zoom together. There's a lot of guys who know you already, know your systems, know how you like things done that are already in Columbia. I think that's helpful. Now, I'm not sure how other teams – other teams might have spent a lot of time. We just didn't come back in June and July. I know a lot of other teams did. We didn't. I just felt like it was important that uh, we respect this this uh, this disease or this virus. Uh, just try to try our best to stay out of harm's way. Uh, but, again, I think you have experience, but – and I said this before, but you have to prove it. I think it's simply that. You have to play with a chip on your shoulder. You have to have an edge. Uh, I know how I would feel. If I was a ball player. I felt like we had you know, a good team, good talent, and I want to go out and prove it. Sounds good. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Coach. Just, But just overall looking at this season, um, and, I, and I guess I'll, I'll ask you about this one particular thing. When you saw that you guys were hosting bragging rights, you're from St. Louis. I know I'm at that game kind of means to you to have it at the Enterprise Center or at formerly at the Checker Dome, Scott Trade Center, now the Enterprise Center. Uh, what does it mean to you have, you have that game and likely to be probably a top-10 team in Illinois coming to campus on December 12th? I think it's great, man. I mean, they're a talented team. Brad has done a tremendous job, obviously, coaching his team. Uh, they, had a, they had a great shot down the stretch to win the Big Ten last year. Uh, Ayo is uh, as good as any guard in America. I mean, that goes without saying, an, an elite scorer. They have great bigs. Uh, Trent Frazier uh, is a dangerous, dangerous player with the way he shoots the ball, his toughness, and they got great young talent coming in. And man, they, they're a talented team. Man. You got to get credit where it's due, but that's what that game should be. It should be a high-level game, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we can go to each other's place every now and then as well as in St. Louis. It'll be great. 
Gotcha. And one, one thing about, I think, my ballot, preseason ballot, was Drew Smith obviously got second team uh, for the coaches and the media, and that's obviously deserved. But I put Jeremiah Tillman on there, and I think that maybe because of his injuries of the past you know, two years, maybe he hasn't shown the conference what that he can do on that level. What do you expect from Jeremiah for his senior year? I expect great things from him. I, I just think in, in – I think what happens in his case, I think big guys somehow get overlooked, and I think that's just been a game the past six or seven, eight years. Um, but he'll do what he needs to do to be successful. He's a competitive basketball player, and then I'm hopeful that uh, it, it has not only a chip but a bolt on his shoulder to go out and play. All right, one final question for you on a lighter note here, Conzo, and thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, is there an exact way you like your coffee? Are, are you, do you drink it black? Do you drink it with cream and sugar? Is there a place you usually go to? Or what, what's, I bought a, a full disclosure, I bought a Keurig a couple weeks ago. Or actually, my father bought it for me. Uh, it's been life-changing. But So what, what is your morning coffee routine? I'm just curious. No, outside of, uh, outside of at home or in the office, I, I, most cases I go to uh, Dunkin' Donut. Uh, i got a great relationship with the, the, the morning team at Dunkin' Donut. Wonderful people, wonderful people. I mean, I, so I have a, now again, I hit other spots in town too, the Colas. I hit Starbucks, but uh, I, if I had to feel like the, a team outside of the team, I would say uh, Duncan. They they take great care of me. Not that they give me anything like that. It just uh, they they're good people. I like them. That's that's why I, I like the Duncan Donut morning team. All right. Well, that was Conzo Martin, head coach of the Missouri men's basketball. This season opener is November 25th. It should be tomorrow, based on when this will be released against uh, against Oral Roberts. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time to join us, and uh, best luck to you. All right, Take care, man. Yeah, bye. And thank you once again to Conzo Martin for joining us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. Mizzou does actually open the season, as we mentioned there, on this will be tomorrow because we're recording this on a Tuesday because of Thanksgiving week. Uh, but it comes they open tomorrow, November 25th, at home against Oral Roberts. The women open up Friday against North Alabama. Uh, and we'll see how coronavirus protocols go inside Mizzou Arena. I know there's no media meal this year, no in-person press conferences. I mean, essentially, we're just going to have to go up through the media, not even the traditional media entrance, through, through the player entrance. But they go down to the elevators. We just go down through the concourse. And football, you feel safe, but basketball, we'll see how it goes, you know, everything like that. But uh, kind of going into the basketball season before we get into all the football talk, you know, now that we're a day away from Mizzou starting, how do you feel, Langston? Where do you think things lie with either program? I think it's full of intrigue. You've got experience coming back on the men's side. You've got a plethora of guards that you can potentially play at point guard, which is a decision that is going to have to be made early for this team, something you highlighted in the story earlier this week. And then on the women's side, it's all about, you know, those talented freshmen a year ago in Asia Blackwell and Haley Frank taking that next step as sophomores and kind of carrying this team past. They were picked 10th of uh, in the preseason poll. Um, or they were picked 10th, excuse me, to uh, to finish 10th in the SEC. I think they're a little bit better than that on the women's side. So excited to see what Haley Frank and Asia Blackwell can do this year. For sure, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting just because of just the mix of different people that are coming in from e- for each of these teams. I mean, Mizzou, the mix was more so in Columbia because you bring back 88% of your minutes, 82% of your scoring. On the women's side, you bring back the biggest young faces, but it's just moving pieces around them. And one thing that I think that people always should look at on the women's side is Robin basically gets her second mulligan season in a row. The, the, you didn't realize how much Sophie made up for until you removed her. I mean, you put Sophie in the middle of that team last year, they're probably an NCAA tournament team. I hate to say it, you know, with, with an Asia Blackwell and you have someone who could score off of her like that, maybe one post player away from being a really good team because there is no Sierra Porter on that team. Uh, but you take her out and they're 11th in the conference and have to, have, you know, get the play-in round of the SEC tournament. Uh, coming, It was always going to be that kind of effect. So now that it's the first season where you know to expect post-Sophie, two years after Sophie, you know, and with everything going on in the coronavirus pandemic, this is a great year for the women to just kind of just re, not rebuild, but reload, I think is a better word for them, just to really have everything in order. So 
a junior Haley and Asia can vault up the top of the conference. I don't think anyone in their brightest ideas thinks uh, Missouri's in a spot to challenge a South Carolina, Mississippi State, a Kentucky right now, a Tennessee right now. No, they're, they're not there. Those are teams who can host in being a top four seed in the NCAA Women's Tournament. Mizzou didn't even get there with Sophie. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important to keep in mind because even with Sophie Cunningham at the top of her powers, you had Lauren Aldridge, you had Sierra Porter, that team was still struggling um, to kind of reach the top um, against Mississippi State. I know that uh, Missouri did beat Mississippi State, I believe, on the road they did. on uh, Sophie's senior year, but when it came time in the SEC tournament, it was kind of a different story, a much different game, lopsided loss in the SEC tournament to Mississippi State. And so to expect when you lose that depth of talent to kind of just turn around and still be the same program one to two years later, even if you're replenishing that with another top 25 recruit like Asia Blackwell, it's just not going to happen that quickly. So, yeah, I I like how you put that there. So this is a year to reload and really see that progress for for next year and the year after the junior senior seasons for Asia Blackwell. She can take that next step and be a potential first team all SEC player. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that, and we'll talk more about the women going forward. Hopefully have some some guests on that from that side of things. Uh, but going on the men side for a little, little while now, because uh, obviously you just heard from Conzo, uh, the one thing that he kind of said to left me with is just how much of a toll, not a toll, but how much of just – I'll go back to it. How much of a toll that just just the life of college basketball took and how much he needed a chance to just refresh after really – by his estimation, I mean, I'm not trying to put an age on Conzo, but he kind of said it himself, and it's all on Wikipedia. But, you know, how much, even since he left to go to Purdue in the early 90s, how much his life has just been nonstop basketball, basketball, basketball. He had four years of Purdue where they went, I think, to the NCAA tournament all four years. It's a long season. Then four years playing professionally. He had one season as a high school coach, and then he was on Gene Cady's staff and then Matt Painter's staff at Purdue. Then he was a head coach the rest of that time. That's been his life since he's been 18. So it was kind of the first chance for him just to breathe, relax, and regroup and recharge, and now he's back. How much of just the regroup and recharge matters for a Conzo Martin going forward? I think it will be a really interesting story, and that's why it was my centerpiece. Pick it up, and, and, and tomorrow's Tribune as our Mizzou men's basketball centerpiece. Just really a story on Conzo about how much he needed that. And it, it was kind of an underrated thing, I think, going forward of just – you look at kind of the mental side of what has happened. Obviously, the physical traits of everything different. Missourina will look different tomorrow. I guarantee it. But the mental side of playing in a pandemic and how that affects someone like Conzo, I think, was a really interesting story. And what's also interesting is the juxtaposition of you know Conzo. I mean, Coach Martin needing that that break and needing that time just to refresh. But then he can do that because he has an experienced team returning back that understands how to play in his system, understand that they've been in these type of moments before. So I'm not saying it made his job, you know, remarkably easier, obviously, but. You know, it's it is you know less taxing to kind of move throughout this pandemic with a group of players who have been there. Like you said, they were returning over eighty percent of the minutes that they had a year ago. So it's interesting to see that reloaded mindset with that experienced mindset returning from the player side. And I really thought it was interesting uh, as I saw today. Um, as I've said before, I put on my ballot um, that uh, Missouri's sixth in the conference. I believe the two other beat writers from Mizzou. Um, who put them both seventh actually in the conference and then you look at where they ended up in 10th but with kind of averaging out to where the national expectations are 10th 11th they're kind of where even some 12th uh, to where Missouri could be and then today Joe Lenardi released his first in-season bracketology and Missouri is the third team out and so that means they are squarely on the bubble entering the season and which means I think Joe Lenardi probably pays more attention it's his job like he is I don't, I don't know what an equivalent in sports would be. I mean, he is Woj and Shams combined, free agency, time spent, one person. Is that fair, really? I mean, he is just his, – his one job is looking at what makes a team qualify for the NCAA tournament. It's not even college basketball. It's the NCAA tournament. That's his job. And so – he looked at probably the local expectations, the national expectations, and made them one. And they're t- they're they're an at-large team, and you know there you go. So I thought it was really interesting that no national recognition really came around for the Tigers. I'm like, someone's got to think they're as strong as the people locally do. And the first one came down with the big hammer of Joe Lenardi. Uh, so 
someone out there thinks they have talent, as Conzo said, said in the interview, is very candid and said, well, someone out there doesn't think we have talent if, you know, the local guys are voting them 6-7 and we ended up 10. So there you go. Uh, any other th- parting thoughts about basketball before we get into the football talk? I'm just excited that we've made it here. Um, not we as Mizzou, but uh, us as fans or as reporters. Um, just making it here there's been so many questions like there were revolving around football i know they've talked about the ncaa has talked about you know kind of creating a bubble-like experience in indianapolis for the for the uh, ncaa tournament you know i i'm a college basketball fan first uh more than in football so not having the tournament last year was devastating for me and when you know there's a ton of other things going on obviously but i'm just excited and happy to just to, tomorrow just turn on my television and watch some college basketball yeah actually my alma mater is playing in the first game of the college basketball season in towson at, at mohegan sun which is still up in the air if uh um, Missouri is going to be playing there in the multi-team event, and I was. And my final parting thought for basketball is: I was asked on the radio by George Young on Monday, "What would be a successful season overall for college basketball?" I said, "Finishing it mm-hmm. without any huge in- interruption." At the end of the day, crowning some sort of a legitimate champion. I don't think it's set in stone how the NCAA tournament's going to work, or everything is almost written in pencil. But if you have a point A and a point B, you did it. And I think that's kind of the same thing with with football. And it looks like. As of right now, that everything might be up in the air with certain games, but there's no conjecture to challenge the college ball playoff that will get there. So things are looking good there. I think uh, same thing for basketball. Uh, now going back into football, um, we we expect this to be the battle line rivalry by Shelter Insurance Week. It's not. We it's the Nashville versus Columbia matchup of Vanderbilt coming to Columbia to face Missouri. Same time, same network, everything. Uh, just cases in Fayetteville went up, and they canceled the or postponed the Tennessee Vanderbilt game, and just in an effort, it sounds like to play all every team gets every game. There's more roads to that to happen if Vanderbilt does not play Tennessee this weekend and plays Missouri, as Missouri has been really at the forefront league wide of canceled games. Uh, I mean, really six things changed i mean it's gonna be crazy missouri has a maximum of four now games that were played as scheduled originally in august 7th and that's just that's nuts i mean it really is but now that vanderbilt's coming here they are zero and seven missouri is three and three the last time we expected vanderbilt to come to columbia we expected them it was just gonna be a whooping really I mean, Vanderbilt's offense hadn't gotten going. They scored seven points against an LSU defense that gave up 45 to Missouri. And it was just so different. Now, while I don't think that the game necessarily will end up being all that close, I do think that it's a different type of matchup. This is not a guaranteed win for Missouri, kind of like we thought it would be six weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, let's just be frank about it. Vanderbilt gave Florida a game for one quarter, and it is clear that those players, even though they may be undermanned due to COVID-19 or you know, not have the, the talent of a UF, they went out and they played their hearts out for the first quarter uh, for Derek Mason against the Gators. And, you know, this team, and I, we, we made the joke earlier that no matter what uh, the line is, I'm picking the opposite team to cover against Vanderbilt. Well, I mean, I'm going against that this afternoon because I'm going to be picking Vanderbilt to cover minus uh, 20, 20 and a half against Missouri. And I completely agree. It's a completely different outlook heading into this game at, than after the LSU game earlier this year. So it's interesting enough you mentioned that spread because we just got the push notification it just went live on bet mgm the odds and it is different it is 15 and a half would you still take vanderbilt to cover at 15 and a half oh that changed because i know yeah bet mgm is the is, is, <laughs> the, the, is the site i use i couldn't find the line because of the change so i went to FanDuel and it was 20 it was 20 and a half bet mgm came in today at 15 and a half or Missouri with, with with being a favorite, and I'll probably have to change that and get everybody's new picks. But I think Vanderbilt still covers. You know, we haven't talked a lot about the South Carolina game, but didn't get that offensive explosion that you and I expected against a you know Gamecocks defense that had really struggled and was missing a numerous a numerous amounts of starters. You know, you go up seventeen zero getting into halftime, and then it's five straight punts to start the second half, and the offense really looked disjointed against a defense that. Oof, let's be clear is not very good yeah yeah and just thinking of it off the top of my head now you don't think five points is a lot 
but I felt pretty comfortable picking Vanderbilt 20 and a half. Now I am not comfortable at all picking them. I'd actually probably now lean Missouri, to be completely honest with you, because of just I'm thinking of bad beats and how Vanderbilt's just going to give up at the end. And Missouri, that, that's where Missouri feasts. At the end of the day, you had Devin Dixon get that INT. I just, I just think, I mean, 17 was kind of the number I had settled on when looking at the picks, even though I said 10 to 13 in the interview, you're going to hear with the Tennesseans Adam Sparks in a little bit. But I kind of settled that anywhere from the range of 10 to 17 was where I thought this game was going to end up. So now that there is some room for error either way here. So that's a, a good a good se- segue to I spoke with uh, the National Tennesseans Adam Sparks, also part of the USA Today Network for this week. Here's my interview with the Vanderbilt beat writer Adam Sparks. Sports podcast this time is the Vanderbilt football beat writer for the Nashville, Tennessee, and Adam Sparks. How you doing, Adam? Real good. Uh, adjusting to yet another week during COVID, <laughs> covering college football. I think we're all there, and happy Thanksgiving to you, uh, I guess, six and a half hours to the southwest of where I am in Columbia, Missouri. But, uh, yeah, it, it's been an interesting year for sure this game is supposed to take place originally i think it's september on the original schedule then the revised schedule made it october 17th and then it was moved to december now we're getting it thanksgiving weekend oh well but uh first off just kind of give us a broad update of this year's vanderbilt team a lot of people see oh and seven but i don't think that paints a full picture at all uh yeah offensively uh this team has actually been pretty competitive especially uh of late the last let's say three games or so um, freshman quarterback Ken Seals um, started from day one, won a quarterback competition in the offseason. He's already broken Vandy's freshman uh, passing record, um, only seven games in. He's a guy that's, you know, he's, he, he can throw for 300 a game. He's done that uh, mostly lately. Um, offensive line lost basically almost the, the, the entire starting five from uh, COVID opt-outs. Um, they had they had to move some guys around just to field an offensive line. It's overperformed. Um, running back Keon Keon Henry Brooks has been out with an injury, but I think he's going to be back this game. That's pretty important in this game because if you're relying just on the freshman quarterback, you may have some issues uh, with a good running back back, which he's been good the last few games when he's been healthy. Uh, Vandy has, has an offense that. I think can put uh, you know twenty thirty points on Missouri if it if it doesn't turn the ball over. Um, defensively, it's been more of an issue. Um, they've had a couple of good games defensively, uh, more bad games than good. They've had a whole lot of opt outs, a whole lot of transfers, um, uh, just uh, even some some guys that have had some season ending injuries. They're just not in a good good way roster wise. I guess nobody is, but. I mean, just this week they lost one of their uh, best players, uh, linebacker Dimitri Moore, entered the transfer portal. And that's, I think, 17, 18 players that they've lost since spring practice because of transfer, opt-out, or injuries. So it's a depleted roster, and they've lost mostly starters. So that might be the difference between Missouri and Vanderbilt. Is Missouri is right at about that 16, 17 number as well, uh, but I, most most of it was non-starters and a lot of the – people we expected for fringe playing time. But anyway, um, you know, it felt like when Ms., when Vanderbilt was originally scheduled to come here in the middle of October that, you know, the circles were kind of, you know, the wagons were kind of circling and Missouri had just put up 45 on LSU and Vanderbilt had only put up seven. You know, and it seemed like this was an easy two and two. Missouri, when Missouri was going to prove it to two and two before it went to Gainesville. Now it comes in at a completely different point in the season. Missouri's three and three. Vanderbilt's 0-7, but it doesn't feel like to me that this is a guaranteed Missouri win at all, although Missouri is favored, I think, on some points by 20 points, which I think is even a little too high. Um, it feels like Vanderbilt could stretch this one out, and I mean, I think the game for last year was further apart, and Vanderbilt pulled off the upset. Do you think, you know, similarly that this game is not a shoe in for Missouri at all? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, on this side of it, Vandy was pretty disappointed that they didn't get to play Tennessee this week. Obviously, that's a rival because they thought, hey, you know, we're on the way up, uh, getting better. Tennessee's on the way down. This is the time that, you know, you can go and beat your rival. So Vandy felt like they're in one of their better spots this year, regardless of who they played. I, I do agree it's a different, it's a little different matchup now than it would have been. Uh, a month ago or so, um, Vandy actually has somewhat of an identity on offense. 
Um, again, de- defenses, who knows? Uh, you know, they could give up, you know, 40 in this game. They could give up 17. I have no idea. The offense seems like it can score, though. I mean, they put 35 on Kentucky, and Kentucky is a pretty good defense. Uh, they scored on the first two drives against Florida and really led Florida for most of the first half. And so this, you know, this is an offense that I, I guess if, you know, if Vandy's uh, way to win this game or to have a chance at winning it is maybe get into a little bit of a shootout um, and maybe have a game similar to at least what the score showed at Kentucky. They lost that one 38-35. Give up a lot of points, but score a lot of points. Don't turn the ball over. I think that's doable for Vandy. Now, you know, Missouri has been a more disciplined team, I think a more consistent team this year. Um, so that, that, that that's why, obviously, I think Missouri should be and is favored uh, because Vandy's been mostly cold and a little hot at times. I, I, when I look at Missouri, I see a team that at least knows more about what it's what it wants to do. And and Drinkwood seems to at least have have that program turn uh, turn the right way. And speaking of head coaches. Uh, it seems like it's a, a topic of conversation this time of year for a lot of different teams, Vanderbilt being one of them. From what you've been able to gauge, how much of a hot seat is Derek Mason on? And if you look into a crystal ball, do you think he's Vanderbilt's head coach in about a month's time? Well, that's tough to say. If if, if this was not COVID year, I would say he's probably going to get fired. Um, if you take into account all the stuff that you know they they dealt with. Uh, Postponement of games and the numbers as low as anybody in the conference and uh, and opt, uh, the most opt-outs of anybody in the conference. If you take that and say this is somewhat of a mulligan year or an asterisk on this year, then he has a better chance than than uh, to stay than to be fired. Um, but he was he was kind of on the warm seat coming into the year. I mean, there's also that really the big factor in, in either retaining or firing him is his buyout. Now his buyout is nowhere near what you you, you know you know other coaches are. Malzahn is like twenty one million or something like that. Derek Mason, we don't know what his buyout is, but he's probably got three, maybe four years left in his contract. So you can kind of figure in what what that may be. It's a private school, so we don't know all his contract terms. We don't do know he has multiple years. He got a contract extension uh, in February of twenty nineteen. So. He's got some years left there. Vandy usually does not fire coaches with multiple years left on their, on their contract. That being said, he's lost 11 straight SEC games. His record looks like he's a guy he would think would be fired. Um, you know, the worse that this season gets, the longer that they go without a win, I think that the, the chances are increased, and, and certainly we'll know here probably in the next two or three weeks. So it could be a Missouri win that pulls him from the abyss two straight years in a sense. <laughs> Uh, you know, it could be. I mean, it. Uh, I think it's still being evaluated. I mean, the way that I think I looked at it is if if the decision has not actually been made internally yet, then beating Tennessee this week may have done it. He actually has the best record against Tennessee of any Vandy coach um, in, in 100 years since the 1920s. So that was going to be maybe what would save him. So, yeah, maybe if he beats Missouri and then, you know, can beat Tennessee before the decision is made, then maybe that, that saves him. I think that's kind of what he's clinging to. That and the what I said about the, you know, 2020 doesn't entirely count, that, that sort of thing. How do you see uh, – how do you actually see Saturday kind of playing out? I, I know we, for the USA Today Network, Today Network, we picked the games against the spread. How do you kind of see Saturday playing out? Boy, that's hard to say. I mean, I, I actually had not seen that that early line yet. If the line is something like twenty, then I think uh, I think Missouri wins, but Vandy covers because um, mm-hmm. I, I do think this will be this will be a pretty pretty close game. It would not shock me at all if Vanderbilt won, but I I, I tend to go with what the odds show, and that uh, that would be Missouri. I, I, you know, I, I think Missouri probably wins this game by about a touchdown. Vandy is also. Even though they played Missouri close at times, this is you know this is a different coach, and Vandy has not necessarily got it done as much in Columbia as they have Nashville in the series. So, yeah, I, I think Missouri probably wins the same thing by about a touchdown. And if I remember correctly, even going back to 2018, uh, through Locke's senior year, it was not Pat Shermer. I think Kyle Shermer was Vandy's quarterback at the time. Vandy was driving down the field and had a chance to win that game at the end. Uh, but Missouri ended up winning that game here in 18, and that was no, and that was no slouch of a game as well. So just kind of now look, looking forward, I know that you cover the entire league, so I'm curious to ask this: How do you kind of see the the rest of the entire league season playing out from a 
just a COVID standpoint, I mean, do you think it's plausible that every game gets in, or is it going to have to be sacrificed? Do you think so? A sacrifice is going to have to be made somewhere somehow. Well, the effort is to get them all in. When you when you hear the conference say that we're okay playing regular season games um, on the same day as the SEC championship, that tells you that there's a really, really strong drive to get every game in. I, I, I think it's better chance than not that we, we get all the games in. But the problem is, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of moving parts, and obviously Missouri is at the front of that, a lot of moving parts to try to figure out how to make the puzzle pieces all fit. And so I think that's going to be maybe the issue that – there's a there's a willingness to get all the games in, but you you may just end it, run run out of dates if they're not in by December 19th. I think any games after that would be called. I don't think you're going to have a conference championship and then play a regular season game after that. So it's it's doable, but we can't have that many hiccups uh, from this point forward. Yeah, Missouri's schedule kind of looking forward is is really the shrug emoji if you if you think about it. I mean, they do have Mississippi State scheduled the next Saturday. But I think moving Mississippi State off that day would actually give the SEC more options as to getting all the games in because they've always had some COVID issues and number issues down there in Starkville, too. Adam, I appreciate your time. Where can uh, everybody find you reading the opponents, uh, the new opponents' perspective this week? Uh, yeah, online, Tennessean.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Sparks. All right, one, one final fun question for you just because I have to get it in. Uh, I've, I've been to Nashville a few times, obviously, uh, since the beat started, where, where does where does Adam Sparks rank on the uh, Nashville Hot Chicken scale? Uh, do you do you is there a place you like, or how, how does that all all that rank with you? Hattie B's uh, is uh, Prince's is one that a lot of people go to, but Hattie B's is uh, is one that actually right next to the Tennessee office. I usually hit up that. And that being said, I'm a mild chicken. I know we're supposed to eat hot chicken here. It's blasphemy to say mild, but I go with the mild chicken and stick more with the. Uh, uh, the, uh, the maybe the jalapeno uh, uh, mac and cheese more so than the chicken. <laughs> All right, well, that was Adam Sparks from the Nashville, Tennessee, and thank you so much, Adam, for joining us, and uh, I guess I'll see you on Zoom on Saturday instead of in a press box here in Columbia. Thanks, man. Yeah, good to be on. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. And thank you once again to Adam Sporch for joining us on this, on this hectic week. Thanks to me for both of us here. Actually, all three of us would be included in Langston, but uh, follow Mizzou Football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today, and the Columbia location of Zaxby's is... Yeah, I think it's 100 Sugar Hill Lane. <laughs> I don't know. Cinnamon Hill Cinnamon Lane. Hill, Cinnamon Hill, not Sugar Hill. It's sugar, Cinnamon Hill. Brown Sugar Lane <laughs> for Zaxby's. I don't... I don't. Uh, I haven't eaten Zaxby's in a little while, but I need, I need to go by after Thanksgiving. I, I actually went... Um, I went and got wings from Zaxby's before Thursday Night Football, and it's funny. I always I always tell myself before the pod, remember where it is, remember where it is, because it's so close to my house i don't even have to gps it so yeah. anyway but uh so while we're on the topic of food what is your ideal thanksgiving meal langston do you, do you go turkey ham so i know some people even do like rotisserie chicken because they don't like dry meat turkey my mom uh usually grills lamb chops Ooh. for for thanksgiving um i'm okay. a I'm a turkey guy, though, for, you know, most families probably don't do lamb. But uh, turkey, any cut, uh, white meat, dark meat, doesn't matter. Cranberry sauce has to be mac and cheese at dinner. I... If I if I if I go uh, if I go to your home and there's no mac and cheese during Thanksgiving, my heart's broken. Um, not really a big green green bean casserole guy. Uh, needs to be some yams and uh, heavy on the cranberry sauce. That that's just a must. I absolutely love cranberry sauce. How about yourself? You didn't say stuffing. I, I'm, I'm more focused on the mac and cheese than the stuffing. Uh, okay, so yeah, I, I'm I'm okay with. I'm not a huge ham as a main dish guy. I like it like ham and cheese, chicken cordon bleu. 
Ham by itself, not maybe not so much. So I do like the dark meat of the turkey. I actually don't mind chicken too. I know some people do that. Uh, lamb chops I've never had. That sounds great. Um, stuffing. I'm, I am a big mashed potato guy. Um, both the both the sweet potato yams or, or you know some you know some mashed potatoes. Um, cranberry sauce is all right. I mean I, I do have it. It's not like I, I do focus on the mac and cheese, but I don't need to cover everything in cranberry sauce. And then dessert wise, where are you at? I don't really eat a lot of dessert, so you, okay. All right. I want I want more uh, more carbs, so I'll take so some mac potatoes. And, mac and cheese for dessert. There we go. Okay. Yeah, the more meat, more carbs. I don't really okay. need the sweets. Because Eli Drinkwitz said he was a pecan pie guy, and I don't. Uh, I'm not a big fan with nuts and desserts. Not a big fan of that at all. If I had to go pie, it would definitely be pumpkin. But I okay. mean, uh, pecan's not bad. I'd go pumpkin. And sweet potato are kind of one, two for me. If you get some Patty LaBelle uh, sweet potato pie, that'd be great. But actually getting back to football now, we mentioned Eli Drinkwitz. Uh, it, it's, it's not thought in the same way it was last week that Mizzou might have, you know, might, we might be going to South Carolina for nothing. They got enough players out of quarantine where there are enough players are there where a threshold might happen. They're still low. They're still, they submitted 59 to the SEC, and that included the likes of a Larry Borum. Uh, a Xavier Delgado, a Trader Jeffcoat, who all missed the game on Saturday. A Kobe Whiteside who's questionable. Um, so they're still right around the threshold. But based on what you saw, we'll talk about the South Carolina game. Based on what you saw on Saturday, how does a pandemic Tiger team still figure things out? And do you think that they're reaching their potential now, or is it just doing the best of what they got? Offensively, you saw the rust. I mean, they hadn't played since Thanksgiving, and so it was, it was clear and apparent. And we Halloween. Talk- Halloween, yeah, not Thanksgiving. See, just think about the food. Uh, since haven't played since Halloween, and you know that showed. And we talked about it a little bit earlier about how the expectations have changed since the LSU game, just because the large amount of breaks that this team has had and large amount of changes. And you talked about you know the possibility of only four games going on as scheduled back in August. It's you know it's a completely different season, and I, and I hate to say that, but it it truly is as you go week to week with COVID nineteen and the different players that could be out due to that. Defensively, though, it's it's starting to really, really show that defensively this team can kind of really hang with anyone. Holding South Carolina to 10 points under 300 yards, it was really impressive. And then also you have that game-winning interception from Devin Nicholson. I mean, we can go on and on. Nick Bolton, 14 tackles, and that game was all over the field. It, it was really, really nice to see when the offense wasn't clicking, the defense was able to step up and win this game. For, for sure. I, I think that my, one of my biggest takeaways from the game was Nick Bolton's going to make somebody really happy next year. He, I, he he has two years of eligibility left should he want it. He's not coming back. He's going to go in the first two rounds. I think he's a first-round guy, to be honest with you. But I can see him slipping into the beginning of the second round with some, you know, like a Lamar Jackson who was taking 32nd overall in his draft class. Just teams jumping back in. And so you look at that. And it's just, he is just all over the place. He is just a Sunday player playing on Saturdays right now. No doubt about it. You, you see those guys and you just know it. Um, even, even at that, I, I think that there's just so much going on with Mizzou's offense moving piecewise to where you see 17 points and you didn't, you, obviously what they did in the second half wasn't all that great. But I think with the rust and there's, there was probably wasn't a better opponent to do it against than South Carolina. Who's on, who that was probably the furthest apart 17 to 10 game I've ever seen. Yep. I'll be completely honest with you. I mean, work out all the kinks and go forward. And that's what makes, I think the 15 and a half spread. So interesting is, you know, Missouri might still have some rust. You know, there's no doubt it, it takes when you stop for three weeks in, a, in the middle of a pandemic, you can practice all you want, but until you face other people, it, it, you don't get that kind of experience. And so, is there rust still there? We don't know. Is Vanderbilt trending in the right direction at 0-7? As weird as it is to say, yes. So, it's it, it's it's a weird dichotomy there for Mizzou football right now. But I do think they'll win. I mean, I I mean, as as you heard me ask Adam, I said, you know, how much of a hot seat is Derek Mason on? And I think he answered it really well, but it was going to be interesting is that I really did think it was going to be a loser leaves town match if it was Tennessee versus Vanderbilt this week, where if Tennessee loses to Vanderbilt, Jeremy Pruitt's getting fired at six straight losses, and then Vanderbilt trending in the right direction. If they still can't do enough to beat Tennessee in a year where they're the way they are, it might be bad, bad news for Derek Mason because his buyout, we really don't know because Vanderbilt's the only private school in the SEC. 
but from any information that Adam had gotten, his buyout's not where, like, it's like Gus Malzahn has, I think, has a $21 million buyout. Jeremy Pruitt's $13 million. Uh, Bill Muschamp was 13 and a half. I mean, Derek Mason's not that high. So we will see. Um, I, I mean, uh, Vanderbilt's final two opponents, I believe, are Georgia and uh, Tennessee. Duh. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Nashville, see if they uh, get somebody, because it, it looks like that a win over Mizzou two years in a row would pull uh, Derek Mason out of the coaching abyss. Yeah, and, you know, I agree with you that I, from a certain perspective, like, I, I, I do believe that Missouri will win this game. The 15-and-a-half line is is juicy. But I, I, one thing I will say about like that. Like the chicken exactly. <laughs> there we go. No. Um, but one thing I will say, and I mentioned earlier in the pod, it's clear that these players haven't given up on Derek Mason. So regardless if he's fired or not, I, you know, an 0-7 season with everything that Vanderbilt's kind of been through and the lack of talent they have, I, I don't think it's – a major disappointment of season obviously you don't want to go winless in the sec but when you put everything into context i i do think he's doing a good job coaching there and regardless if he's fired or not i mean i think he should be commended on the way this team is continuing to fight just like the example we used last week of steve spurrier at south carolina i think that what james franklin did at vanderbilt set expectations too high for that program Mm -hmm. especially because of what they did now i mean you go to penn state from the sec school for a reason uh, or that Vanderbilt type of SC school for a reason. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting game. And, uh, yeah, uh, it'll probably be eight days before another podcast. And I believe it'll be Mississippi State game week the next time we come to you. They play the Egg Bowl this week, and which would be Mike Leach versus Lane Kiffin, which will be a really interesting game to uh, cover for those doing it and to watch, but probably from the press box. But any other parting thoughts, Langston, before we let the people deal with whatever they're doing in podcast land you know if you listen to this before the mizzou game i i would say please enjoy your thanksgiving holiday whether you're staying at home uh, to prevent the spread of the coronavirus to your family or whether you've quarantined for two weeks or tried your best to socially distance for two weeks when you're going home you know please enjoy this time call your loved ones and you know i know it's been a very very tough year but these are the holidays and this is for time to be thankful for what we do have so i hope everyone takes the time to do that over the next few days all right, for Langston Newsome, I've been Eric Blum. Thanks for listening to this Mizzou Sports Podcast. We will see you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.